well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I'm glad that you've joined the program today. Coming up in uh, just a matter of moments, we're going to talk with Jim Hansen, who is the author of a upcoming book, should be out in just a couple of weeks here, called Winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot. Uh, this is a, a very interesting book. I've had a chance to peruse about half of it. I've skipped around. I went directly to the chapter on the uh, right to keep and bear arms, of course. Uh, and we're going to talk about, uh, again, ways to win the Cold Civil War, which, as uh, Jim points out, has been underway uh, longer than most of us have been alive. Uh, I mean, you can. Uh, it certainly goes back to the 1950s. I think it actually... Uh, probably even uh, predates that by at least a generation or two. Uh, but certainly the um, the authoritarians have gained ground uh, in recent years, and they believe that uh, they are in a, a moment of opportunity that they have not had in decades, if ever before. Uh, so what can those of us who are not authoritarian, who, who do believe in the idea of individual freedom, individual liberty, including... Uh, the right to keep and bear arms, but also including the freedom of speech, the right to disagree, the right to dissent. What can we do? By the way, isn't it interesting that, you know, when uh, the authoritarians or the would-be authoritarians are not in charge, uh, their rallying cry is resist. And then when they are in charge, it turns to obey. It's, I, yeah, you know, I, there's there's no consistency there. The consistency is uh, uh, they want power. And they want to use and wield that power against their fellow Americans. So how do we respond to that effectively? Uh, Jim has some great ideas. We had a great conversation. Take a look and a listen. Jim Hansen, thank you so much for coming to the show, sir. It's good talking with you today. Pleasure to be with you, Cam. Well, listen, you know, I am a big fan of uh, winning the Cold Civil War that we are in. I'm also a big fan of doing so without the Civil War going hot. So uh, uh, your new book, uh, I, I think, is um, very timely, very appropriate and really important. Uh, so, so let's talk about this. First of all, um, you know, you make the point uh, and your book uh, goes through sort of the history of, of how we got to where we are today. This isn't something that happened you know, it, it just with the election of Joe Biden or even with the election of Donald Trump, uh, we have been building to this moment for decades. Oh, without a doubt. And I think it started, you know, with the, the decision that the right made, and I think rightly made, that somebody serious had to be in charge of national security and defense and foreign policy. And also that the people who believed in capitalism should focus on business. And we did that. And we defeated the Soviet Union and we created, you know, the powerhouse that is the modern American economy. While we were doing that, the left decided that they were going to fundamentally transform this country. And they began by taking over academia. They, you know, worked their way into the universities and displaced people who believed in education with people who believe in indoctrination. And they did a great job of it. They were, it was going gangbusters for them. Um, and then they got Obama who was exactly the guy they needed to take it to the big leagues because he believed in the activist left, but he was brilliant at disguising. So he, he looked all nice and he spoke nice. But what he was doing, he was saying things like Trayvon Martin looked like my son. You know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon Martin. Uh, the police acted stupidly when they arrested Professor Henry Gates. That he was telling BLM, now's the time. And they launched during the Obama administration. 
And I think we got to Trump. That was a reaction to what Obama had done. And now the left has completely lost it. The woke mob has pulled their masks off and they're not shy about saying, we hate this country. We want to burn it down and build a different one. And basically, we're here to stop. You know, and it's interesting. I mean, when you when you talk about uh, how we got here, um, I'm a I'm a big fan of American history. And uh, your book doesn't really touch on this time period. It's, it, it actually pre your book starts in 1950. Uh, but if you go back another generation to like the 1930s, um, really the heyday of the, you know, outright Communist Party of the United States of America, back when communists would call themselves communists, um, was the 1930s, uh, particularly during uh, what was called the Popular Front period. That was when Stalin uh, decided, all right, you know what, we're going to quit with this talk of of revolution. Uh, and instead, we want uh, American communists to build bridges, right? So we want you to get allies. And so all of a sudden, uh, you had uh, communists spouting slogans like communism is 20th century Americanism. Uh, they were putting up pictures of Thomas Jefferson alongside Karl Marx and uh, Joseph Stalin. Uh, they, you know, reached out to to liberal groups, groups that, that were on the left, but were not communists, and informed allies. Uh, and, and basically, you know, the communists were the cool kids of the left, right? So, uh, you know, everybody sort of wanted to join along, even if you weren't calling for violent overthrow of the U.S. government. Um, if you could be a part of that cadre, uh, you earn, you know, liberal street cred, so to speak. And it was, as I said, it was the most successful time uh, for the Communist Party. Now, when Stalin and Hitler ended up joining forces in uh, 1939, uh, a lot of the left was left with egg on their faces. But I've been thinking about uh, about this a lot lately, Jim, as we see the left start to eat itself, right? They're not just going after people like you and me. They're not just going after conservatives. They're going after uh, the editor of Teen Vogue. They're going after New York Times columnists. They're going after, you know, guys like uh, Jesse Singal, Um is there an opportunity for allyship for a popular front on the right and in the middle against the far left in the country today? Absolutely. I, I call what you're describing the circular firing squad because wokeness, which is their new ideology, wokeness is the new brand since socialism is busted and communism is busted as brands, but they call it wokeness now. Okay, that's fine. Um, and it's got a lot more social justice and it's got climate change, hey, to make it cool. But I think to, before I answer why, yes, I think you made a great point about how successful they were back when they were honest about what they were doing and tried to make it a popular movement, tried to turn it into not totalitarianism, fun socialism, you know, socialism everybody could enjoy. They're doing it again. This more than anything else, I think right now matches up well with that time you talked about. So I think they're doing that because they had a very successful time where they did the slow march, you know, from from like the 50s through 2008. They were changing things slowly and people didn't notice. It was like boiling the frog. You know, nobody saw that the frog was boiling. Mm -hmm. Now they're doing it actively, but they're doing it slick. You know, wokeness is cool. All the cool kids want to be woke. And so consequently, they have the ability to, to draw people in because it sounds good. But to your point. They can't rectify the fact that all of the victim groups that they're promising spoils to, which this is a spoils-based power system. You know, wokeness involves identifying victims group, identifying a grievance for that victim group, and then using that to generate a spoil to that group that you control, hence your power. 
they can't rectify all that now because you've got things like who's beating up and hurting Asians right now? It's black people, right? So you've got right there, you've got two of their preferred victim groups banging heads. When Teen Vogue's editor says something bad and stupid about Asians, you know, when those things happen, they can't rectify that. So I think you're absolutely right. It's the time. And my book calls for a big tent of people who hate totalitarian busybodies telling us what to do. And that's what we want to build. Yeah, because ultimately, I think that is what we're facing here. I mean, I you know, I think a lot of the labels that we use today are. They, they just don't fit anymore. Um, like I don't I don't use the term liberal anymore because what I'm fighting against is not liberalism. It's very illiberal. Uh, it is the establishment of a monoculture. Uh, and what I'm fighting for is and what I'm trying to conserve is that tradition of pluralism uh, in this country where you have the right to disagree. And, and one of the things that the left wants to do right now, the, the woke left, as you say, they want to remove the right to disagree. If you disagree with what they say, then you are a racist, you're a xenophobe, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe, you're an awful person, right? Uh, and that, I think, is is one of the most fundamentally un-American ideas that, uh, that, that is, you know, gaining traction right now. And it's not an American idea. Like you said, that idea came straight from Marx and those guys. So it is, it is a very Euro-trash socialism you know, kind of Greta Thunbergized climate change, where it's it's been mass marketed well, but it is fundamentally un-American. And one of the one of my favorite points that I made in the book, and that I'm going to evangelize for, is the right is now the party of tolerance, because we can accept different views. We don't judge you and call you evil because you disagree with us. We think perhaps you're misinformed. Maybe you should check your facts. And we make arguments based on substantive disagreement. But if we come to the end of the disagreement and we don't agree, we don't call for those people to be thrown into the ocean or exiled or shunned from polite society. We go after them using the constitutional rights we have. And that's what the book calls for. That's why without firing a shot, this is a call to use all of the powers that the founders so wisely put in the Constitution before they manage to take them away, because they want definitely to lose the First Amendment because hate speech is not protected, according to them. The Second Amendment, I think we both know, is number one on their list for the simple reason it's the one that guarantees the rest. So if we're going to stop that, we need to go ahead and start looking a little bit more like the organized left of the 60s and 70s and be the party of tolerance, be the inviting one and tell people, you come with us, you live your life, you don't hurt anybody else, we're cool. Absolutely. And, and you know, again, I mean, one of the things that you talk about uh, just a couple minutes ago, you said, you know, they, they, they want to make wokeness fun in a way. And this goes back to, you know, Saul Alinsky. I mean, this was one of his rules for radicals is in order to keep uh, the movement engaged, you have to change things up. You have to keep things fun. I think it is fun to point out the folly of totalitarianism and authoritarianism. We're watching this right now with, you know, Major League Baseball, for instance, uh, yanking the all-star game from Atlanta, moving it to Colorado, a state which is much less racially diverse than Georgia, uh, has more restrictive voting laws than the state of Georgia. 
it's fun to point this out. It's fun to say, look, you guys are, are, are trying to pat yourselves on the back being all woke. And guess what you're doing? You're, you're, you're making things worse. Um, we need to, again, and, and you say, you know, we can use our First Amendment rights. I think it's incumbent on us to use our First Amendment rights to speak up and to point out uh, the, the folly of their ways and to do so with a smile on our face. You know, Ronald Reagan was the happy warrior. Uh, and, and I think that you can you can get a lot done. Uh, if you're, you know, if, if, if the, if the opposite of the angry left is not the angry, right. I could not possibly agree more. And I think the idea that we can go ahead and look at them and say, okay, you want to call me names, you know, you want to be the ones because they can, they can market it well and they can say wokeness makes you a good person, but everyone can see that they really are angry. You know, they're mad. They're, they're scared. They're all of the negative emotions. And we are the fundamentally liberty-loving people of America who just want to be safe and prosperous and enjoy our lives. Well, we need to project that. We didn't used to have to do that, right? We used to just be able to do it. People would leave us alone. We could farm goats and grow beards and hang out <laughs> and have a good time. But they don't want to let us do that anymore. So we need to go ahead and show, hey, you know what? We don't mind. I mean, I, I think I think you commented on it, too. But when uh, when they noticed that black people were buying guns in droves and like, oh, my God, all the white people are going to go crazy. We're like, no, because <laughs> black people who buy guns legally are my friends. They understand, like I do, that sometimes the police can't protect you and that fundamentally you are responsible for your own security. You can outsource some of it, but in the end, it's you. So I welcome black gun owners. And I think we can reach out to them. We can reach out to the Hispanic people whose businesses were destroyed when Black Lives Matter and Antifa rioted for all of last year. Those people saw what happens when the left gets their way. And we need to invite them in and say, hey, if you just want to live a good life, work hard, keep what you earn and make things better for your kids. Guess what? We're the party you belong in. Welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's probably more than a decade now, but uh, Grover Norquist wrote a book called The Leave Me Alone Coalition, <laughs> uh, which I thought was a, a great phrase. But, the, you know, the 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 one thing that I think is incumbent here is, is you know, and I am a, a part of that Leave Me Alone Coalition, as you say, live on a farm, have the beard, have the goats, have the chickens. But we have to be evangelical. Mm -hmm. Uh, about, you know, why it's so important to to have this toleration, to have this point of view where you where again, it's not trying to shut down uh, and destroy or cancel uh, anybody and everything that you disagree with. Uh, it's not enough for us to just sit back on our farms uh, and, and quietly, you know, tend to our flocks. We have to be vocal in our outreach, as you say, to all of these other communities and to Americans in the middle, disaffected individuals on the left. Uh, you know, that was a big part, actually, of the uh, the, the fight against communism, uh, the defectors from the Soviet Union, the uh, folks like Whitaker Chambers, who's one of the, you know, the godfathers of the modern conservative movement, a guy in the communist underground in the United States in the 1930s. Uh, and you can even look at, again, folks like Jesse Singal or, or Katie Herzog, Glenn Greenwald, folks who are not conservative, mm -hmm. but they're also uh, they're, they're, they're not on the side of the woke activists. In fact, they're, they're the targets of the woke activists. Yeah, they have that libertarian bent. And I think it's the, it's the live and let live concept that we can take to the streets. 
and we have to. Like you said, we used to be able to just live our lives and, and the Constitution protected us, but they're good at this. I mean, let's give our enemies credit. They are really good at what they're doing, and they've been very successful. So we have to become less complacent. We can't count on those things anymore. We have to bring them to the streets. And I think one thing, I know everybody was upset with the election. I was not particularly happy myself. But we won, what, 11 or 12 seats in the House in an election that we lost the presidency in? And regardless of how we fix that, right now in the state legislatures, they're fixing the election laws. They're redrawing districts. And we're going to have a huge advantage. We control 22 state legislatures that are now redistricting things to make them more advantageous for us. We picked up Hispanic votes and we picked up black votes in ways we hadn't before. It's a working class coalition now. And that's the other thing that's changing. Country club Republicans are dead. You know, I mean, they're still there and we still need them and they're in the big tent, but they're not driving the bus anymore. A bus driver is driving the bus. And that's good for us because there's more bus drivers than there are, you know, Judge Smales at Bushwood Country Club. All right. <laughs> we need those people. Those people, they're kids. They saw what they're being taught in school. They don't like that. They don't like higher taxation. They don't want to be told what they have to do. They want to live and let live. Those people are coming to our side and we need to have that positive message and we need to do the grassroots you know, get involved with things, go to PTA meetings, do all the things the left's been doing and do them better because we have one huge advantage. Our ideas work. Theirs don't. Absolutely. Uh, again, the book is called Winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot. Before we let you go, though, I, I do want to touch on uh, the, the Second Amendment. I mean, you referenced this a couple of minutes ago, talking about the the rise in ownership among uh, black Americans, Asian Americans. Um, uh, you know, I, I say all the time, uh, I use the hashtag on Twitter, self-defense is a human right. Uh, and the right to keep and bear arms is a right of the people. It's not a, a right of the right or a right of the whites uh, or a right of middle-aged white guys with, you know, ball caps and big beards. So I, I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, that we are seeing more Americans embrace their right to keep and bear arms. And I also think, again, when you talk about, you know, getting out there and, and, and doing that, that, that messaging, not only do we need to be encouraging, uh, folks to exercise their Second Amendment rights, but I think we also need to point out that these gun control laws that Democrats want to put in place end up disproportionately harming minorities. Uh, Shocking. Yeah, you know, like like most of their ideas, they are well intentioned. I will give them credit for good intentions, and they're poorly designed and implemented. So they end up, you know, the entire woke movement does more damage to the black community than it's ever done good for. It. So here's the, here's what I think is the good thing about the fact that Biden and his team are going to go crazy trying to pass some gun laws. They're going to get whatever they get passed. They will do whatever they do by executive action. But they can't do anything more than mostly administrative things because Justice Scalia saved us and the Republic with D.C. versus Heller. They can't come for AR-15s because they are protected. And that's going to be and I want to have that fight and I want to have it in the way you mentioned. I want to have it through outreach and through saying, look, people, if you want to go ahead and rely on the government for everything, they get to tell you everything you can and can't do. If you want to maintain your personal liberty, guess what? It starts in one place, personal gun ownership, buy guns and ammo and train, 
and then you are a fully-fledged American. Welcome to the new right. Absolutely. And this is one of those other areas where there, there are internal contradictions uh, among the woke. You know, on the one hand, they want more gun laws, right? They want to ban modern sporting rifles. They want to ban high-capacity magazines. At the same time, they want to reimagine policing. Uh, <laughs> and, and they, they want to, you know, engage in uh, de-incarceration efforts. Well, you can't you can't create new nonviolent crimes that put people in federal prison while at the same time claiming you're against mass incarceration. You, you can't, you know, say the war on drugs was a failure. So let's replace it with a war on guns. Uh, again, we can have a lot of fun pointing out the the uh, the contradiction in terms here. Uh, but we do need to point that out because, as you say, we know those those fights are coming. Well, and I love the fact that it's not that they're against mass incarceration. It's who's being incarcerated. All right. They don't want their allies or their preferred victim groups being disproportionately incarcerated, which requires that they ignore the fact that the people who are incarcerated were committing violent crimes at a much higher rate. So like you said, they'll create administrative crimes now where you are violating the government's edicts and somehow not an actual crime against humanity and make that the bad thing. I, I think that's a fight we can have and win. You know, that's another good one. Let's do the same with the First Amendment. The First and Second Amendment are under attack right now in a huge, huge way, you know, by, by both social media, by the media, and by the institutional left. Let's have that argument with our new coalition of people who are primarily freedom-loving, hard-working Americans who don't think the government knows better than them how to live their lives. I'll take our team, the Happy Warriors, back to Ray. I loved, I loved Reagan. You know, I, when I was in the army, when people asked me what I did, and he was still president, I would say I worked for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, just because I was so happy and proud of that. That's something we need to bring back, and let's do it. You know, we don't have a charismatic Reagan right now. Trump, Trump can't do that. He did a lot of great things, but he can't do that. We need to bring a broader coalition of people who say the things that made America great still work. Let's spread them more widely rather than playing reverse racism and new Jim Crow with these woke things that are basically just designed to punish the supposed oppressors and reward the supposed victims, neither of which really are either. All right. Winning the Second Civil War Without Firing a Shot. The book is out next month, correct? It should be out in a couple weeks shipping. Okay. All right. But pre-order, you can pre-order it now. Absolutely. And it's coming soon. All right, Jim, thank you so much for your time today, sir. Good talking with you. Always a pleasure, Cam. Appreciate Jim joining us on the program. Again, the uh, book should be out in a uh, couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, I, I was really glad uh, that we could talk about this because I know that there is uh, there is a, a mindset among uh, some on the right that the way to fight authoritarianism from the left is by authoritarianism from the right. Um, and I just don't, I don't think that's a successful tactic. I, I don't think that that works. Uh, ultimately, you know, if you're trying to, uh, uh, ban a certain ideology, I think it's about as effective as trying to ban guns in the hopes of eradicating crime. Uh, you can't do that. The Soviet Union tried to, uh, ban any ideology that, uh, that, that, that spoke about individual freedom or, uh, uh, uh you know, talked about the, abuses uh, of the regime. And they couldn't do so. They ended up putting millions of people in the gulag, but they couldn't silence those voices 
uh, the, you know, the, the Soviet dissidents uh, would pass around Samizdat. These were, you know, handwritten or in some cases mimeographed copies of, of writings that would pass from hand to hand in the underground. Uh, being caught with a piece of Samizdat could send you to the gulag. But even that threat was not enough to, to stop the spread of those ideas. So as you know, as easy as it might be, and as much as we want, might 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 wish that we could just snap our fingers uh, and you know ban a school of thought that would destroy pluralism, that would impose a a monoculture or a a, a monopolitical system uh, in this country. We can't. You you we have to compete in the marketplace of ideas, and part of that, as Jim said, is recognizing that you know. Uh, those authoritarian voices on the left have actually been successful. They're, they're not dummies. They they know how to make inroads. So we can't be dummies either. And we can't just speak to ourselves. We can't just preach to the choir. Uh, when I talked about being evangelical, when it comes to our right to keep and bear arms, I think it's critically important that we engage in outreach, that we don't just stick to our own tribe where we all agree with one another. But we have to go out into the world and we have to talk with people who aren't gun owners, who may support gun control laws because they don't really know much about the issue. And all they hear is what they learn from the anti-gun media. We, th th those folks cannot and should not be written off because many of those individuals are potential allies uh, in the fight for our freedoms. All right, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our uh, recidivist report. We will start there. Story out of San Francisco, where uh, police have arrested a suspect in an attempted homicide that took place last month. As it turns out, uh, this individual, well-known to law enforcement, matter of fact, a uh, felon in possession of a firearm, but despite the fact that uh, this individual was a uh, felon in possession of a firearm, uh, Ivanta Bailey is his name. He was apparently never sentenced. Uh, at the time that Bailey was arrested for this shooting in San Francisco, CBS in San Francisco reports that the suspect was wearing a court-ordered ankle monitor as a requirement for his federal probation for being a felon in possession of a firearm. Bailey had previously been arrested by the San Francisco PD in June of 2019 after he brought a concealed firearm to the San Francisco Pride celebration. Uh, again, already a convicted felon at that point. He was later transported to the San Francisco County Jail in this most recent shooting, charged with attempted homicide, assault with a deadly weapon, assault with a firearm, negligent discharge of a firearm, being a felon in possession of a firearm, as well as possession of a, quote, assault weapon. CBS San Francisco, by the way, describes the uh, gun that he had as a as an automatic rifle. It, it, it was not. But again, we get back to the, uh, uh, if not anti-gun bias, the the ignorance when it comes to uh, reporting on firearms there in San Francisco. So I want to know. I mean, this was a federal case. So it wasn't like this was, you know, Chesa Budin, the uh, far left DA in San Francisco, giving this guy a slap on the wrist. This was the U.S. Justice Department that said, rather than sentence you to five years in prison, rather than go after you for five years in prison, we're going to accept a deal that will give you probation, slap an ankle monitor on you and uh, send you on your merry way. Maybe that wasn't the right idea. You know, again, maybe, uh, there's no maybe about it, actually. There needs to be consequences for actions. There need to be consequences for criminal actions. And again, 
If you have been convicted of a uh, a, a crime, you have uh, uh, lost your ability to own a firearm, you violate that law. Really? An ankle monitor? Didn't seem to do much for uh, this individual in this case who was wearing it when he was accused of uh, trying to kill somebody. All right, today's armed citizen story from Alaska where a uh, man ended up stopping a uh, robbery and ended up uh, ended up getting a free breakfast as a result. This was in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. It was uh, last Friday. Nick Moore standing in line at a holiday gas station for his breakfast, and he saw a teenager walk in with a knife in his hand. Uh, the 17-year-old walked into the store. The knife told employees that he was robbing the store. Nick Moore said, I kind of backed up a little bit to see what he was going to do, but I kind of already had an inkling in my head that, uh, you know, this is going to end well. So Moore put his stuff on the counter, slowly backed up, and then went out the front door, went to his car. He said, I grabbed my pistol and I came back up to the door. And as I came up to the door, he just turned to look at me. And so I racked my slide on my pistol and I pointed it at him and he put his hands up. Moore then re-entered the store told the teenager to put down his knife to lay face down on the floor while waiting for law enforcement to arrive. Um, they did soon afterwards. The 17-year-old was placed under arrest, charged with attempted robbery in the first degree, as well as uh, third-degree assault. And uh, afterwards, Nick even got his breakfast sandwich for free there at the gas station. Like uh, most offensive gun uses, trigger did not have to be pulled, but the crime was stopped because of the presence of that armed citizen. Uh, finally today, our good deed of the day, League City, Texas, where a uh, group of good Samaritans helped a family after a rollover wreck. Robert Lee said he and his wife were on their way to a furniture store when they saw the accident. This was a Saturday afternoon. Uh, Lee's recently retired from the U.S. Coast Guard. He said he rushed over to the truck, opened the door to begin helping the passengers. And he said before he knew it, there was an entire group of people who had stopped as well. And we're helping that family get out of the truck. He said uh, he and other good Samaritans pulled the family members out of the rollover vehicle, including children. The family's great Dane. Uh, he said all members of the family were okay after the accident. And again, a simple story, but a good story. We don't have to always wait for law enforcement. When we see somebody in need, we see somebody in a crisis, we can help. And that was the case for uh, Robert Lee, his wife, and the uh, group of citizens there in Lee County, Texas, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. So, uh, Mr. Lee, and to all of those other anonymous Good Samaritans, we thank you very much for your very good deed. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I uh, want to let you know tomorrow we're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Robert Young from Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership about the American Medical Association's embrace of the uh, gun control laws that have passed out of the House of Representatives in Congress. We'll have more of the latest Second Amendment news and information for you throughout the day at BearingArms.com. So don't forget to check out the website. Uh, and uh, also don't forget to subscribe on YouTube to Town Hall Media or on Rumble to Bearing Arms Cam and Company, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. You can find us there as well. Certainly do appreciate your support. Hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free.